and welcome to Next Generation Saints. I'm your host, Nick Coons. So before we get started today, I want to go ahead and have a little word from our sponsor, Spotify. Welcome back to Next Generation Saints again. I'm your host, Nick Coons. So I'm going to be doing another episode today for Give Me an Answer. It's an older classic one, but it's still very good. It deals with faith and doubt. And I think Cliff has a very good, important message to have on this. Before we jump into this, I want to go ahead and remind everyone to go ahead and like and subscribe to this podcast, wherever you may be listening to podcasts. And I'm also getting affiliation with Apple, so I'll probably be putting a link in the description below if you want to click on that. It also takes you to Apple Podcasts, where I'm also at, which will really help out. It takes this uh, algorithm out there and also helps support the channel, um, which you already guys have been doing so far with your prayers and whatever else you want to do to really promote the message out there, either sharing the link and whatnot. So, without further ado, give me an answer with Cliff Connectly. Every Christian doubts. Every atheist doubts. Every agnostic doubts. If you're a thinking human being, you have faith. And you begin to realize, I have faith. Every atheist has faith. Every agnostic has faith. Every Buddhist, Hindu, Jew, Christian has faith. Meaning by that, we all have to answer the basic questions of human existence. What is the worth of a human being? What is the purpose of a human life? How do you make moral judgments? What's right and wrong? And what do you think about what happens after death? None of us can scientifically prove any of that. Those are religious questions, philosophical questions, and all of us answer those questions in some way. Now, we doubt. All of us doubt at some point. So doubt is a very natural part of the human mind. And I can promise you, ma'am, I doubt. Every follower of Christ doubts. Every time I sin, it shows that I doubt. Because I don't take Jesus seriously, and so I sin. I rebel against him. The Apostle Paul writes in Romans chapter 7, The good that I want to do, I don't do. The evil I don't want to do, I do. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? So he struggled with it as well. Thomas struggled with the resurrection of Christ. And that's why he said to his fellow disciples, unless I see Christ with my own eyes, unless I can take my hands and put them in the nail prints in his hand and take my hand and thrust it in the spear wound in his side, I'm not going to believe. And then when Christ appeared to Thomas physically right in front of him, Thomas hits the deck and says, my Lord and my God. So we all struggle with doubt. Every Christian struggles with doubt. So you're not weird when you doubt. The question is, what do you do with your doubts? Now, some of us say, I doubt, therefore I don't believe. That's baloney. I doubt, therefore I don't believe is not smart. When you doubt, allow your doubts to drive you, to motivate you to study the issues more carefully, to look at the options, which means doubt your doubts. Look at the options. And if you find an option that has supported by more evidence than Jesus is, I would encourage you to trust that other option. Why do I say that? Because I want to find truth. And I'm convinced the overwhelming evidence is Jesus Christ is the truth. Now, if he's not, I want to know it. Because I don't want to follow Christ if he's not the truth. The best reason to believe in Jesus is not because mommy and daddy told me to believe in Jesus. The best reason to believe in Jesus is because he's the truth. Now, the only way you're going to ascertain that is by studying the evidence, the Gospels, to figure out, is this Jesus really true or not?
That makes perfect sense. Um, I guess doubt's almost like a stigma these days because that I don't bring it up. But then the more I look into it, the more common I realize it is. So I can't like shake off like these other Christians and they're credible Christians telling me that this means you don't believe, that you're just a seeker who really needs to like believe before you accept Christ. But I, but I want to like be a Christian like now. I don't want this. I mean, maybe I'm just being an impatient child over here, but I don't really want to have to like wait to be sure of my salvation. So that makes sense. Sure, it makes sense. All right, John writes in 1 John 5, 11 to 13, this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life. And this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. Dear children, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. I know that I have eternal life, not because I'm an arrogant twit, not because I live a good life. I haven't lived a good life. My son is sitting right here. He can confirm the fact that his father is a sinner. I am a sinner. Well, then, Cliff, how do you know you're going to heaven? For one reason, because God loves this sinner so much, he sent his son Christ to bleed and die on a cross to pay the hit, pay the penalty, pay the debt that I owe for my wrongdoing. And I have put my faith in Christ, and he's given me something I do not earn, I do not deserve. He's given me forgiveness and eternal life. So my assurance that I'm going to heaven has nothing to do with the fact that I work in a soup kitchen. It has nothing to do with the fact that I am in church every Sunday. It has nothing to do with the fact that I try and love my wife and love my children. Because although I do try to do all of that, I fail miserably at times. I'm going to heaven for one reason. Because God loves this sinner so much, he sent his son Christ to bleed and die on a cross for my sin, and I've put my faith in him, and he's given me a gift, forgiveness and eternal life. And then the cynic says, yeah, Cliff, and so you live like the devil, and then you pray for crop failure, you repent, right? No. When you begin to understand that the God who created the cosmos loves you so much, he gave his son for you. You want to respond to him by loving him. And if you love God, if you love Christ, you seek to obey him. Has that answered you? Oh, that, that does help. I, I think, I don't know, but I do think that, that I am. Um, it just, you think you're conflicting things. It's it just been kind of, um, I wouldn't say weird, but like when I, when I have these sort of doubts, um, they're strong. And I'm, it's almost like I'm fighting in my head, actually. That's how, that's the best way to describe it. And I, so I'm like, so what I got is a strong wave of like feelings and doubts and thoughts. And then there's me, and I think there's like, and maybe I'm wrong here, but I feel like there's like a scrap of me that's saying that I'm gonna, res I'm gonna resist these somehow. So I'm even tempted, and like this is hard to me, I'm even tempted to like give up. I'm like, like, he's like, it's just like, why don't you just give up on Christianity? It's so hard, and maybe it's not true. And then so there's a little like scrap of me, I think that says like, no, I'm not, I'm not giving up, I get out. And then, so like, I don't know, I'm fighting, but I feel so like small compared to like whatever, whatever other thoughts are in my head. That's All right. Great, great issue you raise. I'm going to answer it, and then I'm going to have Stuart answer it, okay? All right. I know what you feel like, because I felt like that at times. Good gracious, Cliff, you're a hypocrite. You say you believe in Christ, and look what you just did. What kind of a hypocrite are you? And so self-doubt enters the picture. So I know what you're feeling, because I've felt the same thing. Cliff, you're a phony, you're a hypocrite, you say you believe in Christ, but you just lost your temper for the umpteenth time with that person. 
What kind of a shallow person are you? Okay, lots of self-doubt. Now, self-doubt can be good because it's basically taking a fine-tooth comb and going over my life. But self-doubt can really also be obviously very harmful. If I get caught in a web of really not knowing who I am, what I believe, and what I'm based in. And that is why James writes in James chapter 1, watch out for doubt, because there's a type of doubt that can tear you apart when you think, well, I'm not sure what I believe, I don't really know what I believe, and, and gosh, am I sincere or not? The message of Jesus Christ is, God loves you. And because he loves you, he knows your heart. And you and I both know that my heart is not totally pure and your heart is not totally pure. We are sinners. But God loves us and he draws us to himself. And the challenge for you and for me is to rest in his love. To trust him. To rest in his love. And then when those doubts start going off in my brain, what I have to learn to do is, is to mistrust whatever the option is that's pulling me away from Christ. See, it's good to ask hard questions of Christ, but it's also very good to ask hard questions of the alternatives that are vying for our allegiance. What I'm trying to say is, remember, doubt never occurs in a vacuum. There is always a competing option that is vying for your faith. It is a lie to say, for anybody to say, I don't have faith. We all have faith. Now, there are options, though, that come in to play for a follower of Christ. And those options could be rationalism, scientism, hedonism, narcissism. Learn to doubt your doubts. Learn to mistrust some of these alternatives that are seeking to rip your faith away from Christ. Stuart? Alcoholics Anonymous was started by a group of Christians. One of the top tenets in Alcoholics Anonymous is surrender to a power higher than yourself, right? So the original starters of Alcoholics Anonymous would say, surrender to Jesus Christ. Now, that word surrender, I don't think surrendering our lives to a being greater than us is easy in any way. Anybody who says that, I would say is probably lying. So to give up my own type of ego, to give up my own self-focus, takes time and consistency in three areas for me personally. Prayer, meditation, and scripture reading. If you were to add a fourth, it would be fellowship with other Christians, going to church, having that type of community around you. If we just live in our heads and simply try and answer all the questions of faith from an intellectual standpoint, we're never going to be able to really grow in faith. You have to have, because faith is so personal, intellectual as well, it's also very social, you have to have all three in play. And the personal side is, you got to read the scriptures for yourself, you got to meditate on them, and then you got to pray. So just like any relationship, if you were to ask, say, if you do get married, your future husband, I just want to grow in a relationship with you. But we'll spend one day a week together. You know, even when we get married, one day a week together. But I'm going to grow in this relationship with you, and we're going to keep growing, and I'm never going to doubt you in any way. Never. I'm always going to trust your character, even if you go out to the bars with a few ladies every Wednesday night. I'm just going to keep trusting you. 
then all of a sudden, you're not going to be putting in the work, right, to grow in that relationship, to grow in the ability to trust your husband, right, his character. And so you're going to be doubting him. And that's going to lead to a relationship that probably isn't very strong. So again, going back to Alcoholics Anonymous, with my friends who are in AA, and we have a bunch of AA groups near my church, it's amazing to hear them talk about when they continue to surrender themselves, give up that drink, right, and say, God, you are in control, you are in power over my life, the kind of health that that brings, not only in their ability to confront their alcoholism, but also in how they treat their wives at home, their kids, their lives come together when it's built on God. How have we not answered your question? It's an excellent question. Has it been answered or not really? Oh, I'm getting there. It's just something I've been like, I'm being <coughs> honest. Like, it's not something you can just overturn in one, like, one, one answer or one That's right. I've been yeah. like this for like, years, so it's not just like one answer. Oh, we're all good here. Like, right. That's right. Uh, well, you I just read my mail. That's exactly the way I am. Uh, well, you know, we humans, I guess, you know, have things alike, so that makes sense. Does somebody need to go after me? You bet. Thank you so much for raising those issues. Uh, no problem. Somebody else have an issue they want to raise. Can you point me out um, from the Bible any verse that Jesus himself said, I am God or I'm worthy for worship. Absolutely. In John 8:58, Jesus looks into a face of monotheistic Jews who believe there's one God, and he says, before Abraham was born, I am. The Jews did not call God G-O-D. They called God Yahweh, Jehovah, which is the Hebrew verb to be, I am. Very deliberately, Jesus took the name of the eternal pre-existent God, I am, applied it to himself. And there was no confusion with his listeners. They picked up stones to stone him for blasphemy. Second verse, John chapter 10, verse 30. Jesus says, I and the Father are one. Once again, no misunderstanding among the listeners. They want to grab him and kill him for blasphemy. Then, after his resurrection, Thomas says, I'm sorry, I can't believe that Jesus rose from the dead unless I can see him. And so Jesus appears before Thomas and says right here, take your hands and put them in the nail prints in my hands. Take your hand and thrust it in the spirit in my side. And Thomas stopped doubting and believed. Thomas hits the deck and says, my Lord and my God. And Jesus says, you believe because you've seen. Blessed are those who will believe even though they've not seen. By accepting the worship of Thomas. As a monotheistic Jew, Jesus is obviously claiming to be God. So those are three examples. So um, for the first one, I mean, I'm not sure if you're speaking English, but I am is not the same as I am God. Or uh, him claiming that he is worthy of worship. Or him saying that me and the Lord are one. I mean, he is pointing towards God, but is he God? That's my question. <coughs> I guess I didn't communicate clearly enough, sir. It's not. The Jews did not call God G-O-D. The Jews called God Yahweh, Jehovah. That is the Hebrew verb to be. 
Moses at the burning bush asked, what is your name of God who is talking to him? And God answers, I am who I am. Tell them I am has sent you. Very deliberately, Jesus took the name Yahweh, Jehovah, and applied it to himself. Unmistakably, that's why the Jews picked up stones to stone him. Not because he said, I'm a prophet. The Jews believed in many different prophets. But they were stoning him for blasphemy. So, uh, as I understand from you, the Christianity is not a monotheistic religion? Yes, it's monotheistic. How is it, that? How is it so? There is one God, Jesus insisted. He repeated the Shema of Israel. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. But he insisted that this one God is in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now, there was a cult of Christians called Ebionites. And they were the Christians who Muhammad talked to. And those Ebionites taught that Jesus was not part of God. Isn't it fascinating how Muhammad, trained by the Ibionites, concludes Jesus is not God? Fascinating. So the thing is, I cannot like understand you. How is three persons one? Well, Can you how, explain that to me? Sure, if you first tell me how God is spirit. How is God, God is spirit? One, one entity, and he sent messengers throughout the history. Yeah. And he sent messenger after messenger. Whenever the religion gets deviated from the true religion, right. he sent another messenger. Yeah. Isn't that simpler? Now try, now try answering my question. When you say God is spirit, I'm not saying what do God you mean? What does that mean? I'm, I'm saying God is one. You're, get, you're saying God is spirit. Do you, you think God is a, is a, is, has a torso and a head and two arms and two legs, or do you think God is spirit? God is an entity. What does that mean? Where, where's the entity is, of God? He is like nothing we see. He's, he is like nothing we can feel or imagine or comprehend. Fine, you said God was an entity. I didn't say that, you said it. Yes. What do you mean when you say God is an entity? Like he is one. He is not three persons. He's just one who sends messengers. Yeah, one is one. Yes. Now tell me about this entity that you believe in called God. That entity who created the, the heavens and earth, that created me and you, that sent Jesus and Moses and Abraham and Adam and Noah and Muhammad, the last messenger. All right. Then if what you say is true, that this entity called God, I would never use the word entity because I don't have the foggiest sorry, idea what you uh, mean. for my English. I'm trying to... No, 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 but then I asked you, I explain to me what you mean when you say entity, and you haven't yet. I, I said one. Yeah, well, that's God not an entity, one. one. So, well, that's better than three persons. <laughs> that's because you're a well-trained Ibionite or Muslim. What's Ibionite? Are you using... Ibionites are the Christians that were cultic who misunderstood Christ's claim to be uniquely God and who taught Muhammad that, no, Jesus is not God, and Muhammad bought it. So uh, let me ask you another question. So God has sent messengers before Jesus? Yes. Okay, so what's the difference between Moses, Abraham, and Jesus? Very simple. Moses and Abraham were human beings, the same way you and I and Muhammad are human beings. Yes. Jesus Christ claimed to be more than a human being. He claimed to be God in human form. That's what you think. Okay, let me no, ask you another question. That's what he claimed. Let me ask you another question. Why do you think God chose to create Jesus without the Father? 
God didn't chose to create Jesus. Jesus is the eternal God, without beginning, without end, who at one point 2,000 years ago in our history chose to become a human being. A human being without a father of human being. Right? That's right. He was born of a virgin, Mary. Why and you believe that as a Muslim, I'm glad to say. Yes, I believe that. Right. And I believe in Jesus and Moses. No, and you don't believe in Jesus. You believe in a prophet called Jesus. Yes. But that prophet claimed to be God, which means when you think he's a good prophet, you are mistaken. He's not a good prophet. He's a false prophet. He is one because of he the best to be men who walked on this earth. No, sir. He was a blasphemer, and you know it, because he claimed to be God. And the only way you, you can escape that is by insisting that a man named Muhammad, who lived over 500 years after the fact, was more accurate in revealing Christ than the eyewitnesses who saw and heard him. That is an intellectual jump I would never be willing to make. So, I'll go back to God sent prophets before Jesus, right? Yes. Why did he choose to have a son to come to this earth? Well, and, and before that, he sent prophets, right? So why did he choose to send his son? Because God, who is just, understood that in order to forgive people, the penalty for our sin had to be paid. And so he becomes man in Jesus Christ very clearly to save us from our sin. But he can't save us from our sin just by saying, a oh, poof, you're forgiven. The penalty for our sin, which is death and hell, must be paid. And Christ paid that penalty on the cross. Two things. One, you said that Jesus paid for our sins, right? right. How is that just? The second thing, you think that God is not willing or is not able to forgive us for the sake of us being his creation? Sir, God is a judge. He's yes. the just judge. Yes. And he has he decreed that the, the penalty for sin is death. Someone has to pay the penalty for my evil. Either I'm going to pay the penalty for my evil, or I'm going to accept Christ's payment of the penalty for my evil when he died on a cross for me. There's nobody else who can pay it because you're a sinner. Just like me, I'm a sinner. So either you and I pay for our own sin, or the just judge has offered a sacrifice himself in Christ on the cross as the just payment. Too many people think that faith in Christ leads to a life of impracticality. Too many people think that faith in Christ is a type of spirituality that disconnects you from life. Nothing could be further from the truth. In Luke chapter 16, Jesus tells a fascinating parable about a wealthy man who called his manager in to his office and said, give me an account of what you've done. After listening to him, the rich man, the owner, says, you're fired. The manager thinks, whoa, what am I going to do? I'm not strong enough to dig ditches and I'm not going to spend my life begging for bread, for money. I know what I'm going to do. He goes out and he calls one in debtor. And he says, how much do you owe my master? And the debtor says, I owe him 800 gallons of olive oil. The manager says, sit down and make it 400. Debt canceled. With a second debtor, the manager asks, how much do you owe my master? And the second debtor says, I owe him a thousand bushels of wheel, of wheat. And the manager says, sit down and make it 800. The wealthy man calls his manager in and says, you know, I know what you've been doing and I want to commend you. 
you were shrewd. Now, when Jesus tells that parable, he is not giving a lesson on ethics. But what he is saying is, the manager didn't go out and blame others. He didn't go out and complain. He didn't go out and get drunk or slit his wrists. Instead, he was confronted by a big problem, the loss of his job. And he began to solve the problem practically. God gave you and me a rational mind for a purpose, to use the thing. And part of using our rational minds means to solve problems, to put the best scenario together we are capable of. I don't think I'm speaking to many lazy people. But if you're like me, you are selectively lazy. A good friend of mine pointed out to me, Cliff, you complain too much about doing administrative tasks. You're sharp enough to complete some administrative tasks. You're being lazy. My friend was right, and I appreciated him confronting me with that fact. It's very easy to be selectively lazy. Yes, when I was in high school, I loved playing ball and I loved social interaction. Not easy for me to study. And I'm so grateful that I had a father who disciplined me, who prayed for me, who loved me, and who encouraged me and taught me to study. I'm not the only high school kid like that, am I? No, there are many who love to play sports, who love to get into art, music, but let's not crack a book. That's boring. There are many men who hit home runs on the job. They have a great golf game, but their wives and children are emotionally starving. There are many women who do well on the job, who do well in the home, raising a family, but they have totally ignored their relationship with God. There are many people who are social butterflies and who love having a great time, but they neglect their interior life, their soul. And Jesus asked the penetrating question, what does it profit a man or a woman if they gain the whole world but lose their soul? The soul is the real you, the real me. Yes, it's very easy to be selectively lazy. I am consistently amazed how many intelligent, hardworking people think spirituality, a relationship with God, is just going to happen like poof. And if it doesn't happen poof, then God doesn't exist. You would never approach any other area of life in that manner. Why do you approach God that way? Instead, think. If you have to work to get an education, if you have to work to get an athletic body and career, if you have to work to climb the corporate ladder, if you have to work to build a marriage and a family, then don't you think you're going to have to work to build a relationship with the God of the universe? Of course you are. And that's why I plead with you, read the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Get to know Christ. Pray. Cry out to Him genuinely from the depth of your being. Help me, Lord. Forgive me, Lord. Give me insight. Give me wisdom. Help me think through how to handle this relationship, how to resolve this conflict, how to make peace in this relationship. Yes, a relationship with God involves thinking, praying. It involves responding emotionally to God's love, which means you've got to focus on His love and then open up your life and allow His love to come into you. Yes, 
Jesus insisted that spirituality is not highly impractical, it's highly practical. Because Jesus Christ wants to be Lord of every area of your life and my life. He wants to lead us into the purpose for which He gave you all the beautiful gifts He's given you. Have you put your faith in Christ? You can do that very simply but very profoundly by asking Him to forgive you for the wrong that you've done, for selective laziness, for wasting the gifts He's given you. Ask Him to forgive you. Put your faith in Him that He bled and died on a cross to pay the penalty for your wrongdoing. Trust in Him and He promises to give you life eternal and put your life in His hands and allow Him to show you the purpose for all the gifts He's given you and then live out that purpose. God bless you as you make that most important decision. I'm the pastor of Grace Community Church. We meet every Sunday morning at 9.30 at Grace Farms, which is located at 365 Lukeswood Road in New Canaan, Connecticut. I'd love to invite you to join us this Sunday for our 9.30 service. Thanks for joining us for these few minutes. Have a great day. Welcome back to Next Generation Saints. I hope you really enjoyed this episode. I hope it really helped you out. Understanding some of you, maybe if you're struggling with doubt in, in your faith and whatnot. I know I struggle with it. I'm preaching to myself all the time about it. So I hope it really helped you out. I hope you're very much blessed by it. And you'll come back for some more. And again, before we get going, I want to go ahead and remind you to go ahead and like and subscribe to this podcast. I'm also putting a link in the description below for Apple as I'm become, I've become an affiliate for Apple as well. Gotta help support the channel somehow. Um, so go ahead and like, subscribe, and until next time, we meet again. May God richly bless y'all, my dearly beloved.